that I would make it a little bit easier for you this morning. We're only going to take a look at one primary passage today. I know how excited you were last week going all over the book of Proverbs. Um, but this morning, as I stated, our, our sermon title this morning and our, our study this morning is going to be on how to guard your heart. And we're going to primarily be in Proverbs chapter 4, and we'll look through 20 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be a good time to, to find that. Maybe you're like me, and I grew up, my brother and I, there was like always a rule in our house. You enter the door, the door locks behind you, right? You go to bed, everything's checked and locked up. Everything's put away. Everything's locked up. The bars in the door and the, and the, and the windows and the sliding door, all that's always done before bed. As soon as you enter the house, get in there, that door's locked behind you, right? That's what we do now. That's kind of one of our rules in the house now. We live in a really good neighborhood. Growing up, we had a couple neighborhoods that weren't great. We had another neighborhood that was pretty safe, but that was just something that we did is we just kept things under lock and key just to make sure, and if we had to park our our vehicles in the driveway, we didn't keep anything out that was valuable. Uh, Many, many years ago before cell phones and things like that, you know, we used to have those little those uh, GPS devices that we put in our windows, right? So Natalie one day left the, not even the device itself, just the, the thing that held it, left that in her window. We go out there the next morning, there's a brick through the front front seat of her car, and somebody took that right out. And just silly things like that. So, you know, we've learned over time that we have to protect the valuables in our cars. We don't leave them unlocked. And it just blows my mind sometimes. I'll be driving down my neighborhood, and there's two or three garage doors just wide open, You look in there, and they have a nice garage. They have, you know, tools, sheds, and and stuff like that, and it just blows my mind. Or they leave things in their driveways, right? Or I see on on these these apps that I'm on that, that, oh, I left my car unlocked last night, and they took everything. See, when we really care about things, as we talked about just a moment ago, we're going to make sure we do things to protect them. Right? So think about some of the things that you probably protect. Right, We already talked about a few things, but you know, if, if you have a home and you want to protect that asset, you're going to probably invest in some sort of security system. Right, You're going to maybe put a camera, an alarm system, something that allows you to protect your home and make sure that it's protected. Right, We do things to protect our, our families and our children. As Steve pointed out a few moments ago, we have these things that we use to protect and to preserve and to guard our families. And all these things, honestly, they're worth protecting, 100%. But I want to kind of challenge us this morning to think about, again, what we're going to talk about here today, is that there is something that is a little bit more valuable than some of these physical things that really could be replaced in some cases. And, of course, that's the heart that we're talking about. That's something that the Lord has given us that he's asking us to protect and guard, and we'll see that very clearly, hopefully, this morning. When I first had this topic and we're going to look at this topic. I started making a list of a bunch of things I was going to talk about about the heart. I'm like, oh, we can talk about this with the heart and that with the heart and this. And then as I was digging deeper in it, and obviously I'm some wise counsel from Pat as well, is I'm looking, I'm like, you know what? Guarding the heart really captures most of these things. It really does capture these things. So hopefully you'll see that today as well. And it is one of those things that's essential in our lives as Christians as we go down this journey that we've been going down in our lives. So I want to start today with the reading of our text. Again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4, and then we'll dive into answering that very question, how do we go about guarding our heart? So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. 
Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure." So that's what Solomon is, is talking about there with his, uh, to his son. Verse 23, I would contend, is, is probably that primary passage and verse in this. That's the key verse in this passage. So from that verse, we'll kind of develop what this means to, to guard your heart. Um, and from that verse, we'll actually talk about and identify our main idea. Our main idea today is going to be a foolproof heart is a guarded heart. A foolproof heart is a guarded heart. So I think the best thing to do is as we shift and before we shift forward, I think it's, it's necessary to understand what the heart meant, not only to Solomon, but probably more importantly to the Hebrew readers of the time and, and in the Jewish culture. I think it's a, an important thing to understand what this means in the original language. And, and I'm not an expert in, in, in Hebrew, so I, I did come across a video um, that explains exactly how this this term is used and what it means to the Hebrews, um, and I think this will be a good way to understand that further. Every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart, because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. 
He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So I think that was a good explanation, much better than what I could have presented to you uh, of what that means. So I think just to kind of recap what that says is simply stated, the heart is really that key instrument for some of our thoughts, our emotions, our fears, um, the, the joy and that peace that we have, the, the overall conscience of an individual. So that's kind of what the heart is. And one pastor said that the Hebrew thought for the heart was that it's kind of the real you. It's kind of that whole person, and it describes that whole person. It's that center of all parts of human existence. So that's the, the mindset that Solomon had when writing this, this section and writing that particular verse at verse 23. Um, and, and, and as the, the narrator pointed out, what's really important is that that heart needs to be changed, and it must be renewed and uh, we'll touch on that throughout our, our, our time this morning as well. Um, so notice that, that in verses 20 to 22 of our passage this morning, Solomon is addressing his kid, his son, and he's telling him to listen carefully to my words. Listen carefully to his words. And, and you probably are familiar with Solomon's story, and um, I think there's a little, there's, his background is really important to this idea of listening to his words. You might recall in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon was given the green light from God. Ask what you want, I will give it to you. So what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom to go about God's ways. That's what he had asked God for. So obviously God was very pleased with that request, and he gave him uh, the, an abundance of wisdom. And then he also blessed him with riches and even fame. So the words that, that, that Solomon is using here is more than just, you know, me telling my child some advice or my dad giving me advice. This really was wisdom from God given to Solomon and Solomon to his son. So I think that's important that we see that. And there's a progression of, of how Solomon presented this to his son and how he was encouraging him to listen. And I want to kind of quickly run through that. First thing he says is, be attentive to my words. Be attentive to my words. He says to incline them to your ears. And in other words, listen carefully to my words. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's guilty of hearing but not listening. 
I'm sure I'm not. I, you know, I get distracted sometimes by, you know, maybe I'm reading, maybe I'm watching something senseless on TV, maybe I'm watching the Dodgers beat the Padres again, maybe, maybe I'm doing something else, and, and I'm hearing somebody speak, but I'm just not really listening. And I know I'm not the only one who's guilty of that. So I think what he's helping us to do is like, hey, we need to make sure that you're attentively and carefully listening to what I have to say. And then he says that we do that by not allowing them to escape our sight. He says, let them not escape your sight. And it seems odd that there's this correlation between hearing and sight. But what he's saying is, here, I've given you the information you need, set it before you, and follow what I'm asking you to do. He's telling them, put these things before you, and now that you're, you have it before you, these wise words that I'm giving you, now you intentionally need to follow them. And that's what he's talking about there. And he says that we can do that by keeping them within your heart, right? When you keep something in your heart, and we're going to see and spend a lot more time on this here in just a few minutes, but he says to keep them within your heart. And he says that's important because they are life to others, What a really neat picture we see here from Solomon. He says it's life to others. He's saying that the word of God is alive. He's saying the word of God is alive, and he's saying that it's also healing. There's a healing aspect to the word of God. This wisdom in God's word, it's healing because it can lead us away from things that can harm us emotionally and physically. It leads us away from destructiveness and destruction. In the preceding verses to this passage, Solomon is urging his son, pursue God. He's saying, pursue God and pursue wisdom and to guard that wisdom from wickedness. So he tells him even then, guard this wisdom from wickedness. And in verse 15, he specifically says, avoid that path altogether. Don't even go down that path that may lead to wickedness. Avoid it at all costs. And since, of course, that we're talking about this heart, I think this passage helps us to see that it's more than, again, just adhering to good advice or a good word, but it's, these are words that are life-altering and life-directing. And Solomon's saying, please listen attentively to my words, my son. So I think we can really draw out the first principle from this, this short uh, few verses, and that I would say that our first principle we can draw out is this, a wise person goes directly to the word a wise person goes to the word and i love psalm 119 if you haven't read that in a while it'll take you a few minutes psalm 119 talks about the joy and the wonderfulness of god's word and and in verse 11 he says this he says i have stored up your word in my heart why that i may not sin against you and that's really what we're doing is we're trying to hold that word in our hearts so that we may not sin against the father So Solomon, he was leaning on this wisdom that, again, he gained from the Lord. And in doing so, he he also did something that I would recommend that every parent does in this room. He's saying, here's this wisdom that I've received from the Father, and now I'm going to pass it on to you, my child. Passing on that wisdom from the Lord to our children, that's the best gift that we can give our kids. So this word to his son in a word and in a, in a, a phrase would be guard your heart. Guard your heart against wickedness. He's essentially saying, I'm going to share with you this wisdom that I have received, and you need to store it up. You need to keep it before you so that you may not sin against me. You may have already noticed that the ESV doesn't use the word guard. So we're using the ESV, and it doesn't use the word guard. It actually uses the word keep. 
Other translations might use watch. Others might use, uh, you know, uh, keep, um, as we just saw in the ESV. Um, but they all refer to the same exact action, and that's preserving and protecting the heart. And just like we saw earlier, that, again, we are going to protect the things that are worth protecting. We're going to protect the things that are worth prote- uh, protecting. Now, this is a really good time, I think, to kind of piece together some of these things. Because if you remember from the video, the narrator commented on what Jeremiah said about the heart. What does Jeremiah say about the heart? It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful, right? So, so if, if Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitful and wicked... Solomon's telling us to protect our heart. There has to be something there. What this, this does is it implies there's a changed heart. There's an implication there of a changed heart. So that's why it's worth protecting. If it's been changed by God, then we have that responsibility to protect and to guard that heart. I was reading Romans last week. Romans chapter 10, we, we read these very familiar words. Uh, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What a great promise we have of God from the uh, epistle to the Romans. And as I look around, I'm, I'm positive. I'm very certain that each and every one of you here have already done that. You've confessed with your heart. You have already believed. Um, But for some reason, if I'm mistaken and somebody in this room hasn't done that, don't leave today without talking to Pat or I, because that's the most important decision that you can make. And, And again, we see that the heart, if it has been changed, it's worth protecting. That's why it's valuable. So let's answer this question. Let's discuss this further. How do we guard our heart? How to guard our heart? First thing I do, or we have to do, and this comes directly from verse 23, is we do this with vigilance. We do this with vigilance. The idea of vigilance here is kind of the way that we protect it, the way that we put it away. It's actually described and used elsewhere in in the Old Testament as a place of confinement. It's almost like a jail or a prison. And it's saying that we have to lock it away and we have to keep a close eye on it to make sure that there's nothing going to happen to it. It's an action that's, ta- that's taken to help us to keep or guard our heart. And I think this further affirms that what we saw earlier, that, that this idea of a heart is kind of that central area, and everything flows from the heart, and that's, again, why it needs to be protected. Back in verse 19, we see that guarding the heart with vigilance protects it from wickedness. So in the same proverb, in verse 19, it says it protects us from uh, wickedness and it protects us from stumbling. And that's why it's important that we do that. Finally, this phrase implies that we kind of have to work at it. We kind of have to work at it. It's not something that we can just kind of keep out. It's something that we have to make sure we, we grab and we put it away and we intentionally protect it and keep it safe from wickedness and harm. The second thing we need to do, according to verse 24, is we need to put away crooked speech. And we touched on this last week, so we won't talk too much about it. And we're going to actually address this again when we get into the epistle of James in a few weeks. So I think Paul's instruction uh, in the Ephesian churches was really, really helpful to understand the harm this does, not only to individuals, but to a, a, a local church body. Chapter 4, verse 29 uh, of Ephesians says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, 
as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're to forgive others because Christ forgave us. And I think Paul really nails it on the head. He's like, don't let this corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Use your speech for good. Use your speech for positivity. And we saw last week that really what comes out of the heart is what's in our heart. That's what we saw last week. That crooked speech, that corrupting talk is really contrary to that changed heart. And that's what Solomon is warning against. So he further warns again in that same uh, verse to put away devious talk. And Paul mentioned that as well in Ephesians. Next thing we have to do, verse 25 says we need to keep our eyes forward. We need to keep our eyes forward. Solomon continues to use this imagery of a path. And I think it's very applicable and very appropriate. And uh, for Christians, while we're still on this path, that path for us has to be righteousness, that path for us has to be pointing towards Jesus. And I'm sure most of us have have set goals in our careers or even in our personal lives and our homes. We've set goals for ourselves or for our families. Or if you're an employer or a manager or a leader, you've probably done that or helped your your staff to do that. And sometimes they're long-term goals, sometimes they're short-term goals. But in the end, what I, I remember learning this a while back is if you have too many goals, If you have too many goals or priorities, the likelihood that you'll be able to satisfy each of them is very low. This likelihood that you can satisfy multiple things, in a sense, it's almost impossible to keep your eyes forward if there's a hundred things going on around you. And that's why he says you got to keep your eyes forward. Last Last week, we talked a little bit about this idea of intentionality. And I think this is one of those areas of our lives where we need to be very intentional and keeping things focused and the right things focused. Verse 26, take a look at that again. It says that we need to ponder the path of our feet, and then all your ways will be sure. We need to ponder the path of our feet. This verse reminds us that not only are we to follow this path, but we also need to know this path. If we don't know where we're stepping, we're going to step in a hole, twist an ankle, fall on a knee, and look foolish in front of many people. I've done that before. So when we're aligned with God's will, we, we know exactly the step that we need to take next. And obviously it's much easier to say than it is to do. And then verse 27, this section tells us that we need to stay focused. We need to stay focused. It says specifically that we're not to swerve to the left or to the right. And it simply means that we need to keep on track and we can't veer off even a little bit. I think Pastor Pat several weeks back or months back um, used an example uh, of an airline pilot setting the course to his destination. And if that course is set just a single degree off, if it's short, it may not make a huge impact. But the further you go and the further off track you get, that one degree becomes a significant issue and you're way, way off course. And I think that happens to us too. I've been regularly exercising since about 2020, as you can obviously see. 
here's the issue I've run into all that time is there's been times where I'm doing real good for a few weeks and then something happens, you know, sometimes that something's just me being lazy. Something happens and I stop for a day and that day turns into two and those two days turns into a week and those weeks turn into months and so forth. I'm sure I'm not the only one. What about reading your Bible daily? We've, we miss a day, what happens? It's harder to pick it up the next day. It's harder to pick it up the following day. Prayer, prayer is an easy one to, to not get into a really good habit of doing. So again, when we veer off course, those, those days turn into weeks and those weeks into months, et cetera, et cetera. Next thing you know, if you neglect some of these really good things in your lives, unfortunately what happens is you, you, you start to neglect sometimes fellowship. Sometimes you neglect praying with your family, leading your families, those kind of things. We begin to neglect those things, and that's why we're, our challenge is to make sure that we're staying focused and we're staying on track. Sometimes that those, those distractions in our lives could be good things, right? Sometimes our families, our careers, our hobbies, ministry, for a lot of ministry folks, that's a big, big issue. Um, so sometimes these things could be good things. And, and the issue is when they take you away and they veer you off course, the issue is, of course, that it takes your attention from the Lord. And, and taking your attention from the Lord can lead to wickedness because if we're putting our, our focus on anybody other than him, that's, just, that's exactly what's going to happen. And if you look at verse 27, we kind of see a little bit of what the goal is of staying on path, and we talked about this already, and that's to turn your foot away from evil. It's to turn your foot away from evil. Evil is contrary to the character of God. Evil is contrary. So if we're declared righteous, then unrighteousness cannot live within us. That's really the, the issue that we see here. So let's find out, and let's kind of finish up by asking the question, how does this really happen? How do we really do this? And I'm going to only give you a couple things. First thing here is, is real simple, and, and we touched on this a little bit. We looked at Romans 10 a little bit earlier, so we did touch on this, but the first thing here is we need to turn to the Lord. We need to turn to the Lord. Isaiah 45, the Lord himself is speaking about his saving nature And he says this in verse 22. He says, Turn to me and be saved. The ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's simply saying, I'm your goal. I'm that. There's no other. He's like, but turn to me and be saved. And then when we turn to the Lord, we're obviously replacing our faith and our trust in him. And that allows us to do this next thing, which is to delight in the Lord. It allows us to delight in him. Psalm 37, verse 4, we saw that in the video too, and we'll, I think we might look at uh, partial of this passage next week. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a tricky one because, I mean, I know I, you know, we joke about it sometimes. Where we, you know, don't, don't follow your heart, right? Because Jeremiah says your heart's wicked and deceitful. But here, I think it's really neat, the correlation we see is if our hearts are aligned with God's will, then yes, we can follow because we're going to be delighting in the things of God. I think Steve Jacob on Monday made this connection that one of the first times that the word heart is used in the Old Testament is comes directly from Genesis chapter 6. 
And in Genesis chapter 6, we all hopefully are familiar with this story, but this is the, the beginning part of the story of Noah and him building the ark and, and the judgment that came on the earth and how Noah's family was preserved from that. Uh, verses 5 and 6 of Genesis 6 says this. He says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. What, a, what we see here is when man's heart is full of evil, it grieves God's heart. It grieves his heart. And I don't know about you, but that hit me hard when I saw that last week. I was like, wow. Verse 8 says that, uh, of Genesis 6 says that Noah found favor in God's eyes. And that's why Noah was, was spared from this judgment. And his family, they were spared because they were following his way. They were delighting in him. And they were declared righteous before God because of that. So this idea of God giving us these desires of our hearts confirms that our hearts are aligned with his. And when that happens, and only when that happens, we're declared righteous before God by his grace through faith in Jesus. So are you guarding your new heart? Are you staying on that path that God has set you on? Are you delighting in the Lord? Most of you, I'm sure, answered yes to that question, but in case you have not, I want to give you a word of encouragement. Lamentations 3, and 23 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies are new every morning. They are new, and great is your faithfulness, Lord. What an encouraging word we get there. And you can experience that today, even if you answer no to those questions. And if you answered yes, which I'm sure most of you here did, we can go back to the scriptures, and we can maybe pull something from the Psalms, one of the many Psalms that's praising the Lord. May I, 106, uh, one came to my mind this, more, or this week, and it's praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love remains or endures forever we can turn back to his scriptures to understand how we can go about praising him. So I ask you this, will you join me today in listening to God's wisdom through his servant Solomon, guarding your heart against wickedness? Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's so many distractions. There are so many things that can keep our minds and our hearts and our thoughts just completely away from you. So I ask God that if anybody in this room has an issue staying focused and staying the path that you have set before them, I ask God that you just speak to them in a mighty, mighty way now. And that you give them the opportunity, give them the ability, give them the grace to be able to follow you and follow this path that you have set before us. And we recognize, God, that it's not going to always be an easy path. We recognize that it's not always going to be a joyful or happy experience, Lord, but we know we can experience that joy in you. And we ask, God, that you give each and every one of us a heart that follows directly after you. So we may be even called, like David was, a man or woman after God's own heart. What a joy and what a title that is. So we ask, God, that you help us to stay focused on you and to eliminate distractions that may not allow that to happen in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.